Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Joe Goldberg is here, so it's another spy day. It's a spy day. It's a protect protect my garden from the rabbits day. Yeah. Well, you guys all know each other, right? Spies? We all know each other. Yeah, like you kind of club. you kind of communicate, you know, mind to mind. Well talk about mind we have an expert on mind control. That's probably a good topic. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna, the man. He's gonna he's gonna teach you how to control the minds of the world. Well, he's, he's, yeah. he's mind control, body language, all those, all those really yeah. cool, the arts, yeah. dark yeah. arts of espionage. Exciting. I'm, my nipples are hard. So, yes, um, well, <laughs> how, how do we know what difference does it make? Well, <laughs> constant state of affairs. Yeah, well, it's important to me, you see. That means it's working. I'm, I'm aiming it. Um, state. Yeah, i got to cut some glass here. No, so Gavin Stone, thank you for being here. No problem. Thank you for having me. So, Gavin, how did you get into that field? Because this is true. Like, we're talking about um, you do have the history of being into intelligence and covert operations, security, and and you've done a a book on uh, body language and and reading it and stuff like that. So uh, where did that come from for you? Uh, So the the mind control side of things uh, came from my interest in NLP, uh, which is just a, a great little area. I, I'm a qualified practitioner in that, which I learned uh, a lot from Richard Bandler, who invented it. And the original theory came from wanting to look at why some psychiatrists got brilliant results and psychologists got brilliant results in an hour or two, and others, after years of therapy, still weren't getting a breakthrough. And they modeled the original kind of NLP or neuro-linguistic programming around that, um, and my interest in it was how can this be used and implemented in, in my world? I bet you like the old uh, Avengers TV show from the 60s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was prisoner, watching that all day, knowing, yeah, knowing that you're going to be on. I had to get into the English. The, the, the prisoner, what, was that the one where he was in like a, a town or a village and he, he kept trying to escape? In the yeah. village. Yeah. It's yeah. a classic. It's, it's a must-watch. 17 episodes of... Patrick McGowan. Long time ago. Wow, that, that brings back memories. Yeah, the good old days. Make Britain great again. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still, still working on that. <laughs> yeah, it's unfinished business, we'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of an interesting lifestyle, and, and you've got your bachelor in psychology, I see. So you've, you've really been into this thing. Um, and, and number 28 in the world as body language expert. So that's why I'm not, I haven't got any camera. <laughs> you can't, I, if you saw what I was wearing and what I looked like, you'd probably, you know, well, you Worry would get something? off. Yeah. He'd probably, he'd probably, <laughs> probably I'm shocked be off. by that. Yeah. I'd be like, that's it. No more. That's, I can't do this. I kind of get that a lot. I get people that, you know, I, I talk to them and, and they say, so you, you're a body language expert. And I say, yeah. And they fold their arms and they, they come. So what am I thinking? I say, I'm not, I'm not psychic. I, I'm, you know, I, I read body language. It's like, you know, I can get an idea of whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable with a subject. Uh, but you know, I, I can't, I don't suddenly turn into, uh, uh, you know, some kind of psychic who can speak to your granddad and uh, who's been passed away for 20 years and know all your thoughts from your childhood. Oh, well, then what good is it? <laughs> I know, you know, I'm still working on it. <laughs> so, so, Gavin, how did, you, how did you incorporate body language and all your, your intelligence and consulting and all that sort of stuff? How, how, did, it, how did it play? Well, if you can imagine, and uh, well, you know very well, in the world of secrets, you, it's really important to know when somebody is being truthful with you and when they're not. Um, and you kind of very quickly get to grips with the assets that you can trust and the ones that you think are, are just kind of adding and sprinkling a few little extra bits and pieces on for a, a little bit of extra cash or, or motivation of whatever means. 
Uh, so it doesn't take you long to start spotting little things and going, hmm, that doesn't, that, that's not baseline for him. When he's telling me that story, there's, there's differences from when he's telling me the, um, you know, the kind of the other information that I'm after. And, uh, and that's kind of, uh, where it came in useful in, in that world for me. Um, but it's something I've, something I've done since childhood, but then kind of developed and, and, and learned about it later on in life, and then as I've learned, and I've gone, ah, so that's why I've been spotting that, and that's what, you know, so kind of I was, I was doing it first, and then realized why I was doing it afterwards. And since you have the ability to mingle with and get results from undesirables, so you're mingling with some today. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I have a good doodle going. <laughs> yeah. Well, how does, how, how does that work? So do you, you have to be able to fit in with all kinds of people. Yeah. In all kinds of areas, how how is it you go about that? Um, one of one of the most useful ones, and this is this is going to sound really really crazy. What we call football over here, what you guys call soccer, it, it's 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 almost like a universal. There's there's so many things. There's certain things that everybody around the world like. Um, the, the number one favorite is, is food. Everybody has to eat. Everybody uh, has their favorite foods and dishes. So you've always got that as a, as a if all else fails. Food is your, is your your kind of last resort, um, but football is a brilliant way. No matter where you go in the world, to be able to mingle it and, and get involved in crowds. And I've done it. I've been stuck in foreign villages, up in the mountains, and I've been in a bar. And I don't speak a, a, a word of their language. They don't speak any English. And it's just a simple case of you cheer when they cheer, you boo when they boo, um, and the next thing you know, they're buying you drinks and meals, and you know, and, and that's like a very short version. But it, it's very easy to kind of um, utilize what's going on around you uh, as a, as a as a tool to be able to build rapport very quickly with these people. So, how'd you incorporate that into your books? <laughs> spy book. I remember writing the spy book. Yeah. Um, I, I I haven't really gone too much into the rapport in the in the first book. There's a lot of tradecraft revelations in there. Um, you know, the, the, every every kind of you know fifth page, there's another tradecraft revelation that that isn't usually in. And I've done it in a very unique way. Um, it, it's written in in novel form, but there's also these sections where the tradecraft is explained. So, uh, and this comes back from when I used to read, uh, when I first started reading novels years ago, if I read something that I knew nothing about, an area I knew nothing about, say, uh, um, you know, a, a book on a, a paramedic, and, and they say he got the HRT double one and he put it on the backwards flipping device and, or whatever, and I'm like, what? I'm lost. And I thought, well, if I, if I, you know, wasn't, if I didn't know the things I knew, if I picked up any military book or spy book and started reading it, would I know what they're talking about if I didn't already know? And the answer a lot of the times was no. Um, the, uh, and I thought that's probably something that I could work on. So I, I wrote this book, and when he uses a bit of tradecraft, there's like a, a section which is in italics, and it explains exactly what it's done and why and why the methods moved, and then goes back to the story. So it's almost like a field manual as well as a story as, in one. So now that last book you you got it's called the Unforgiven Spy and it's book one in this in the Spies for Hire series. So what is that series going to be? Uh, that's going to be an ongoing series. So the the main character in the book, uh, Jensen, he's a, um, a former contractor. He, he's done a lot of the things very similar to myself. He's worked for different intelligence agencies, governments, private clients, etc. And uh, th there are a lot of parallels with his life and my life in regards to he. He has a, a daughter and realizes that he's put his hand in the fire a few too many times and if he keeps doing it sooner or later, he's going to get burned. Um, so he decides to step back away from the world of, of kind of, um, you know, spies and, and, and contracting and anything like that um, and be a stay-at-home dad. In fact, the working title, when, when I first started writing it, the working title was actually Spy at Home Dad, and it was meant to be more of a comedy than uh, a you know, very tongue-in-cheek comedy, more so than a, than a very serious novel. And, and it, it did actually get very, very serious very quickly, so that was why it all changed. Uh, so, yeah, but it, basically, his past comes back to haunt him. His wife and daughter get kidnapped, uh, and he has to team up with a couple of friends and go and kind of get them back and, and bring the whole thing to an end. So, but uh, I'm, I'm lucky, touch wood, my wife and daughter have never been kidnapped, that side of it, uh, I've, I've never Good had to start. do with. Yep, that's, that, yep. <laughs> um, 
and and luckily for me, you know, that, uh, that's um, something I'm hoping never happens. But uh, but everything else in the book, absolutely everything, are things that I've either f- experienced firsthand in the field or in training or, or running simulations, or and and maybe not all in the way that they happened in the book, but everything is is written from experience. So that really helps with the kind of continuity. So there are a lot of reasons to write a book or an espionage book. Um, you have an interesting background. You just explained that everything in the book sort of happened, maybe not in that way. Why did you write the book? Was it to do something new, to explain those things, to entertain? Why Why does Gavin write this book after, all your, after your career? I think that it goes back to, I mean, when, when I stopped kind of working and taking an active role in, in the industry, um, I wasn't sure what to do. And I would tell a lot of stories, you know, to my in-laws and that kind of thing. And, and you know, they'd find them interesting. They'd say, you should write a book, you know. And I didn't even think about writing a book until, you know, they suggested it. And I tried several times. It was an absolute disaster. In fact, the first one I got told was more like a report than a book. Um, and the, it took me a long, long time and many, many different attempts. And the, f- the first attempt was more like an autobiographical kind of uh, my life on paper. And the first one I did, when I finished it, I, I read it back, I thought, this is going to start a world war. If I, if I put this out, I can't do it. There's, there's too much. Um, I need to water it down. So I did a second attempt, which was that boring after I watered it down that even I was falling asleep reading it. And I was about midway through the third attempt, and I thought, you know what? How about I write this as fiction? And I did courses. I took a lot of classes. I learned a lot of things. Uh, and believe it or not, the the background in body language really, really helped. Um, when I was learning to write descriptively, I could I could visualize what somebody would do body language wise and and kind of write that in uh which helped give a a real level of realism to the characters um so that's my recommendation for anybody who whoever is deciding to go into the um the life of a writer is start by doing a body language class it will be extremely helpful for you and uh, yeah and and several many 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 failed attempts later i eventually got uh, a manuscript in place many 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 rejections later I teamed up with a friend of mine from MI6, a really great guy who I'm good friends with, and, and he said, look, traditional publishing is something that you don't have the same control and there's not the same kind of rewards as there used to be. It's not as good unless you're a really established author. If you're new in the game, it's it's not as, as worthwhile as self-publishing right now where you have a lot more control and a lot more rights. So I decided to self-publish. Um, I got a lot of celebrities and people and help on board that helped me to promote it and uh, and yeah had a re- really good uh, really good boost with the with the debut fiction novel well that's great now are you are you jensen basically is that what <laughs> is that what you're trying to say so um, the th- same things happened and stuff but you've kind of you know like you said you watered it down and of course you had to change some things to protect the innocent but um are you basically that character i i, I wish i could be if, if um if, if you took me having my best day where everything just lands in place and, and, and just works out perfectly for me and I'm, I'm really having one of those great days, that would be Jensen on an average day. Unfortunately, most days for me aren't really like that. So uh, he's, he's, he's a fictional character of everything I'd like to be, but unfortunately not, not quite there. I wish I, I, wish I was. <laughs> so when you go through all these manuscripts and you take the classes and you come out the other side with the ready to self-publish the book, did you start... With the character of Jensen, did you start with the plot? How did you see this developing through developing a character or developing a plot? Yeah, so uh, well, I started loosely with the character of Jensen, and the, his friends Marshall and Darius were were written in because in in my life there has been particular jobs. Most of them I generally have uh, been tasked to do on my own. But I do know there's a couple of gentlemen that I can approach if ever I need to and say, look, I need some help with this, and they would be there to back me up. Um, so in this instance, I, I wrote it loosely based on Jensen, and then, again, what I wanted to do was was keep everything as close to my own experiences as possible. You know, if, if there's a place mentioned in the book I've been there, I've kept the continuity so accurate. If I say there's a, uh, a code to a gate in a military installation, that is the code to the gate, or was at the time of printing. Um, and, and so writing from my own experience, even though the story itself isn't what happened to me, 
all the little bits of things that have that have happened throughout my my life and my training and my working and that kind of thing. That, and and that's where I kind of started to 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 say, well, how can I use a bit of my life that happened here and a bit that happened there, and and put all these little bits and pieces together and and make them fit into a story. Um, and, and, and also make it a story that the reader wants to find out what happens and how, how, how the ending, uh, you know, kind of how it, how it all comes to a happy ending. And, and your setting, how, how important is that in the book? Are you, are you writing it as, as detailed as a character or is it kind of more, um, just background? I, I, I made the mistake, which I didn't realize till, till long down the line, rather than writing it from a kind of third party perspective of, of a, I believe it's called an, uh, omniscient, perspective so you you're kind of you you're looking at everything from an observing point of view you probably know this a lot better than i do and and i i didn't realize till after i'd started it right after i started writing it that way that it it was it was done and unfortunately it was too late to change it um but yeah the the majority of it is is from the uh, the kind of the angle of of primarily of jensen uh, and, and and his tackling of, of of the problem that he's presented with interesting so do, do you kind of have something you want to get across to the reader like is there some underlying point and will there be to each one of the books in the series uh yeah um it, it, it's it's given a point of view which isn't normally taken because usually in the spy world you know it's, it's your james bond mi6 or, or somebody's working for the cia or one of the three letter agencies and they're working either directly for them or of a sub-branch, and, and this is done uh, showing that there's actually a completely different world out there that, that isn't spoken about much, and it's actually about 70% of the intelligence community, and that's the contractors. And contractors, unfortunately, they've got a really negative connotation attached to the label, and people straight away think of the likes of Blackwater and, and go, yeah, no, you know, we, we don't particularly like the idea of that. But there are contractors who work behind desks who are... Um, software engineers, there are also contractors that do the things that I used to do where we would go out and, and, and it'd be a human intelligence gathering assignment and, and that kind of thing. Um, so there's, there's very different levels uh, and it's done usually by the, the station chief or something. You know, the, the, they will have the discretion to hire who they want and if you've got a good reputation, you know, you, you, your phone carries on ringing. So it's taken from that angle rather than the classic I work for the government, I've got the, the weight of the government behind me, I've got, you know, whatever I need at my disposal. Um, this guy hasn't. Everything is improvised, adapt and overcome. Everything is use whatever you've got, you know, MacGyver style, um, and, and do whatever it takes with no backup, nobody else looking after you, you know, no government departments helping you out with satellite images or, or anything like that. You are pretty much how it is in, in reality on your own. So... As a contractor, do you have to get uh, pre-approval for what you write from someone? Do you have a secrecy agreement? Uh, so, when, when because I've actually worked for the, the British government as well, I did have to sign the OSA um, and uh, the Official Secrets Act. So, by rights, I am bound to that, but I, I'm not uh, like, um, where, whereas certain people like uh, MI6 and that kind of thing and MI5, if they write anything, they have to send it for pre-approval. Or, or I believe the CIA is the same. Um, yeah, and it has I got to, it pre-approved. Yeah, you got to get it pre-approved. I, I'm not bound to that. I can pretty much write what I want. But if I am found to be in breach of the OSA, then you know, obviously, I'd have to pay the price. So, um, so I, I, I'm not. I don't have to go through the same system as most guys do and get it pre-approved. But I, I, I still do have to be reasonably careful as to, to what I put in there, content-wise. I got to do a full footnote here for all the agency people who are beating their heads against the law of military people. It's not pre-approval; it's pre-publications review. They don't approve. Yes, yeah, review. Sure. <laughs> so, okay, uh, that's it. Don't don't yell at me, guys. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and of course, I I, I generally go off my my uh, my boss. He was absolutely brilliant, and his theory was it's better to uh, better to seek forgiveness than approval. Um, with anything in life, he'd say, "Look, go and do it." And then afterwards, I'll call you in the office and shout at you and tell you you shouldn't have done it. And then you'll say sorry, and then you'll go out and do what the hell you want. He said, because if you ask me beforehand, the answer's going to be no. He said, and then it's a whole different action if I've already told you no, and then you're going against orders. He said, but if you do it first, he said, then, you know, I'll call you in the office, we have a cup of tea, I'll shout at you. He said, you pretend to take it and 
<laughs> we go on and carry on doing our jobs. Right. But Gavin, it's marketing. See, I want to put something in there for for them to, to <laughs> so I can say, hey, the stuff that the agency did not want you to see. Read my book. You know. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm 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 trying to get mine banned. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do it. That's exactly right. The book they didn't want you to have. Yeah. It's exactly what I'm working on. Well, funnily enough, what I what I did, I actually put a little something in there. Um, and I, I don't know, any of you guys Freemasons by any chance? No. 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 So I'm I'm not either. But I do know a lot about their industry for obvious reasons. Um, and what I did is, is I, I put a little secret in there, uh, a little Freemason's secret, nothing over the top, but enough to cause a little bit of a stir that people can find out and go, oh, wow, that's interesting, and it's now out in the public domain. Um, and I thought one day, uh, hopefully with a bit of luck, some Freemason will read this and go, oh, we've got to do something about this and then call to get it banned. Um, and then if that happens, there'll be no better publicity in the world than, you know, Secret Society calls for x book to be banned. Uh, you know, it, well, yeah. it'd be the perfect marketing tool. Or you wake up in the you know, family plot in the Midlands of England. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Are there any Freemasons listening? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you could do, if you could do me a little favor, you, you know, you'll see if it's obviously there. It tells you the, the word Freemasons, and, and then yeah, it's all there. So uh, yeah, that would be much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. You'll find them on yeah. Twitter and Instagram. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now buy the book first, and then that's right. Complaints. You need this and review it, and then yeah. come and get it. Yeah. Yes. Then we want the complaint. We know what we're doing here. Yeah. How do you how do you how do you tackle dialogue then? How do you uh, between the characters and stuff? How do you write your dialogue is it from stuff you've heard in the business or seen or do you just take it from joe's book like what what goes on i um i generally just go off what what i do is i put the character in the position and then think right what would i say in this instance you know and if i were, were you know if it was my friends that were with me how would they reply how would they react to this um and there's this brilliant kind of banter uh, between the, the three characters, uh, uh, you know, and they're, they're constantly playing silly little tricks on each other. They've all got their own little journeys that they're going on, um, which, which is brilliant how it all works. And there's worries and concerns uh, at times between the three of them, you know, as, as to what's going on. Um, but, but they use this humour between them to kind of shield their real thoughts and fears, which is what humans do. Um, yes. And, and it, it, it's good how they all kind of gel together and they've got each other's backs. So, you know, it's, it's all kind of done from, you know, how I've known things working in, in the industry and, and how, like, kind of I've, when I've worked with friends, how, how it's happened and what I've witnessed firsthand. Yeah, I call that the, the MASH effect, the TV show movie. Yeah. You know, they, they use dark humor to get through the dark times. That's kind of how... I think the agency existed when I was there. Did you know how your book was going to end and how this and how it moves on to the next part of the series when you started it and you're piecing it all together? When I first started writing it, it was, it was a, a, you know, this particular version was a trilogy. Right. Um, and I'd got in mind from the very beginning that it was a trilogy. And what I did is when I, when I finished um, book one, I'd already got the outlines for book two and three. Um, and the theory was when book one was with the editor, I was then going to, fill in the meat on the bones of book two and, and kind of have that ready to go. So as soon as book one was out, book two was getting edited and, and repeat the process. So I knew uh, roughly what was going to happen in each one. So there are things in book one which may not seem relevant at the time and the reader might think, mm, okay, you never kind of answered the question with that or, you know, I don't get the point of what happened there. But then in book two and book three, it all of a sudden becomes highly kind of... Um, obvious why these little events happened and with the success of it and with everybody kind of with the reaction that i got from it um i then decided why why limit it to to, to a trilogy um why not make it an ongoing series so uh, so yes in 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 answer to your question yes i, I did know exactly what was going to happen in books one two and three from start to finish however upon reviewing after book one went out upon reviewing book two I noticed that it wasn't story so much as a link uh, to book three. So we'd got, like, book one and book three. Book one was okay, book three was great, and book two was just filling in the details and the gaps. So I've actually scrapped book two, and I'm in the process of completely rewriting it from scratch. I'm about two-thirds of the way through. Uh, and, and just to make it, just to give it a bit more emotion, a bit more story, make it a bit more gripping, and, and make the reader 
uh, have a, a story at the end of it where they want to then go on to read book three because I've enjoyed book two that much. Do you have some sort of a, I don't know, as they call it, a Bible or some sort of a, a thing that you keep all of the characters and kind of what goes on to them to keep track of it? Um, no, so it was something that I've been told to do by, um, you know, the likes of Andy McNabb and one or two others that they, they keep a Bible for their characters. And for me, I look at the fact that I, I kind of know the characters intimately because they are, they are all based on real people. So I can look at, at the, you know, at Marshall, for example, and I can look at the real person that that character's based on and go, right, when's his birthday? You know, when, what, what's his star sign? What, you know, and, and, and if I need to know something, I can actually ring him up if I don't know, say, for instance, what kind of beer he drinks. I can say, hey, what, what kind of beer do you drink? Because you're about to have a, um, a pint of, of ale in, in, a, in a pub in Europe somewhere, uh, you know, and, and he, he can tell me. So, so I do have that to my advantage. Um, like I say, they're, they're loosely, very loosely based on, on real people. So you know them intimately. You've slept with them all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Threesomes and, and all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> now we're getting there. Yeah. That's now right. we're getting to the real dirt. And that's going to be in the explicit version. That's it, yeah. That's the triple X rated version, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's making a miniseries, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Uh, if there's anyone from Netflix listening, yeah, let's, let's, uh, yeah. let's get out there. Stand in line, Gav. Yeah. Stand in yeah. line. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. <laughs> not surprised, yeah. Yeah, no, I thought. Violence on the page. How, how is it you attack writing violence on the page? How is it you present uh, your action and violence? I've kind of learned uh, by, by almost by mistake that when there's a, a rapid action scene, the most important thing to do is slow it down. Because uh, I found if you if you do the snappy short sentences of then he did and then that happened and then this happened and you, you go through it too quick, the action scene's over, and, and it's not descriptive enough. So what I do is I slow everything down. And so one fight scene might be three or four pages long where you've, you've got the description of every bead of sweat and every, like, the, 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 the usual kind of descriptive, you know, slippy skin and fingers and, 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 and whatever you need to put in there. Um, and, and, but enough, balance of action so it's like you're, you're mixing the description and the action in enough to make the reader kind of you know want to get to the next bit to find out what's happening you know is he going to choke this guy out is this guy going to you know get the knife and stab him is he, or whatever the case may be um because i found if you write it too quick it, it's it's a great big disappointment and, and joe you probably know better than i do uh, especially with this kind of thing but but yeah the, the the longer you take to describe that that action scene um the you know, the more you can do everything you kind of freeze time of of him drawing his fist back for the punch and 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 get as much description in there before the punch makes contact um it, it certainly helps with with kind of getting the reader to be as engaged as possible in, well and that's my opinion anyway so it, it seems to have worked so um joe you're the expert there uh, no i'm no expert but it's interesting usually people say because i write the snappy the shorter sentences but that when you have any action i think shorter goes mm -hmm. it can still be a long or sequence but I, at this time i was taking notes on that saying because i'm just starting rewriting my, my my book right today in fact and i'm like i'm gonna check that out Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I find that long fighting scenes describing all that. So I'm like, okay, can we? Does he win? <laughs> My eyes are scanning ahead, trying to find out where the knife goes. Yeah. But but if you keep it, sh if you keep it short or vary it to the plot, you know, this one, this this moment requires a short, snappy fight scene. Mm -hmm. This one requires a longer Gavin scene. That's actually not a bad sort of variance to do to kind of like fiddle with the pacing of the book. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I might work with that. But how do you deal with bad guys? Oh, I love bad guys because every a, a lot of writers, new writers, and I did exactly the same thing. They write the mistake of making a bad guy bad, and uh, and that's that's where they go so dreadfully wrong. Because uh, you've heard the saying, "Nobody's the villain in their own story," and the truth of the matter is, you know, these bad guys. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, "Ooh, I'm evil." Um, you know, they 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 wake up with their own purpose, and it may not align with what everybody else wants and likes. And if you look at, like, the, the world's, you know, most infamous bad guys in fiction, like Darth Vader, for example, in his mind, he wasn't the bad guy. 
he wanted to restore you, uh, order to the universe and build a Death Star and make everybody kind of, you know, stick to the rules and, and, and you know, kind of live a peaceful life. So for him, he wasn't a bad guy. So when I, when I write the bad guy, I do it from a point of, you know, he didn't just get up and decide to be evil. You know, he, he's doing something to either avenge somebody or to, to change something for what is better in his mind and that kind of thing. And, and, and the trick is, is to make the bad guys that great that if ever it were to go to a Hollywood movie, the, the A-listers are screaming on, on I want to play the bad guy. <laughs> no, I mean, it's important to show the bad guy's intention. Mm-hmm. Or bad gal, I guess. Whatever it is. I mean, it's important, I think, because then people understand them better. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, more, the more character and purpose you can give to the bad guy, then, then the better. And, uh, you know, and, and again, like I say, really, really, that was a mistake I made when I first started writing. I just, I just, I made these really bland bad guys, uh, you know, where, where kind of, you know, the, the good guy comes along and, and kind of kills them. And, and what you've really got to do is you've really got to stack the odds. Um, and again, this is something that, that I've learned over time. The, the, the bad guy has got to be a Goliath. And your hero has got to be a David, you know. You, you, you've, you've got to be rooting for the underdog with this thing, and the, the odds have got to be so severely stacked against the, the uh, protagonist that they say, how the hell is he going to do this? How the hell is he going to win this? And that alone, just that thought, makes them want to read, to say, okay, I've got to see how he manages to bring this Goliath down. Well, in that sense, then, are there things that you won't include as a theme or an issue that you just say, I can't put this in, I, you know, in the current world, it's cancel culture, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is there something that you say, you know, I, I, this is, I don't want to touch this. This is too sensitive, or this, this is just not me. This represents what I believe, or whatever. Is there, are there, do you have a list of those kind of things? Not really a list, not per se, like a, a written list. I mean, there are, with, with the trade craft type of things, I do make a lot of revelations in, in, in the sense of there are, Things I probably haven't made it out into the public domain before, and they re- the reader will come across Tradecraft and go, wow, I didn't know you could do that, or I didn't know this was how this was done. Um, so with that in mind, I-, I decided that I'll put pretty much anything in the book except IEDs. Uh, and for those who don't know, that's improvised explosive device. There's no reason in my mind that anybody needs to know how to make an IED. Um, or, or like I say, for, the, for those who don't know, that's an imp- improvised explosive device. That's, that's an ex- a, a bomb, basically, in a backpack. Um, you know, and, and, and I dare say if you look, you could Google how to make like a pressure cooker bomb or whatever. There's some idiot who will probably tell you. But for me, I thought I'm not putting that in or anything like that. There's plenty of other tradecraft in there, which is, you know, kind of things they don't need to know, but they may find interesting. But that, that's where I kind of stopped. With one exception. And that's in book three, and when I first say this, you're going to go, dear me, Gavin, you've gone from one extreme to the other. And what I do is I go, the, 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 the three characters, they make um, an improvised hydrogen bomb. And okay, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, this is where it gets fun. Google that. I'm sure the governments you know, will love that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they won't mind. Um, but what I did, because I thought about it, I thought, you know what, if I put every step in, then basically... Yeah, it could create a hell of a lot of problems. So what I've done is, is I've kind of said what's used and given a, a bit of an idea, but that's as far as it's gone. Because basically, if, if we were to do it in, in, in say, cooking, um, and somebody said, well, how do you bake a cake? And I said, oh, you get some eggs and flour, and you heat the oven up, and you you know you mix it all up and put it in the oven with a bit of sugar, and then you've got a cake. Um, anybody who cooks knows that's not how... You make a cake, there's no time, there's no temperature, there's, there's not all the ingredients and whatever else. Um, and they would know, obviously, that, that wouldn't be enough to go off to make a cake. And that's pretty similar to what I've done with this improvised hydrogen bomb. I've said, you need a bit of this, a bit of that, and a bit of the other, and, and you know, you put these things together, and, and then, you know, it, it kind of goes boom. But not given enough information to, for anybody to, to be able to recreate it from what I've put in the book. So that's, that's the extreme with that. No, I'd say the readers don't understand perhaps how often that happens, mm-hmm. whether author's going, boy, do I really do I put that in? Because I had explosive vests and dirty bombs, <laughs> which was just a minor part of it. But And, of course, I'm searching, and NSA and FBI are loving my search history. But... <laughs> But, you know, you put just enough in there to say, this is, I'm making this thing, and I'm not going to tell you all these other things, but, you know, explosives and detonator and wires and, and, yeah. and button. And then the story goes on. It's not critical to the story to know how to make it. It's critical that it's there. Yeah. But 
I purposefully censored any great details for those particular things. Go find it yourself. Yeah, exactly. If you want to make one. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what I've done. I mean, like I say, all the other tradecraft, there's plenty of other stuff there. I mean, I, I think in one of the books I, I put how to make pepper spray, um, and, you know, which is really, really easy to do. Uh, so I put, I put that in there. But the thing is, you can buy that over the counter in the US, um, in most states anyway. Um, so it, it's not really anything that people can't already get a hold of. But, you know, like I say, things like that, I don't mind. Um, IEDs, no. And then, the other, the other little thing when it comes to kind of um, limits, as it were, from experience, and again, you probably know this, it, it, it's when, when out there working in the field, you don't really have a choice of who you're working with. You can work with some really horrible people and you have to pretend you like them and, you know, and some, there are some really nasty characters that you have to be friends with. And... It, that's just life. It's just the way that, that the game goes. This is, this is how we get the information that we get. Um, whereas, obviously, in, in, in the fiction world, your your characters, there has to be a divide between the kind of people who are evil and people who are good, uh, uh, with not too much of a grey area. So, uh, you know, the, the character, he's not going to be um, associating, for example, with um, child sex traffickers um, uh, and, and utilising their services because you would, I didn't want to give the impression that this is the character and this is the kind of people he would do business with. But he would do business with somebody who forges documents and passports and that kind of thing. So, you know, I've kind of, I've kept, tried to keep the character as ethically clean as possible uh, for, for somebody who's technically an employed criminal. Um, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, as you know, that's not always the way it is in real life. We do have to have, we do have to deal occasionally with some uh, really horrible people. Um, but that's just life and the, and the way it goes. It's that way in radio too. Poor Joe has to deal with me. Yeah, I know. Every time Teddy likes me. Yeah, yeah. I just said that I didn't, pal. Yeah. You said Gavin Stone was coming. You was probably, oh, no. Can't you get me out of it? Yeah. No, that's, yeah. He's like, why? No. So your characters, and I ask this of all fiction writers, what's your relationship with your characters? And I say that because, you know, I hear all sorts of things, like they're like family, friends, and they hear voices and all that stuff. And what's your experience with your character? Well, like, the beauty of it for me is the fact that, you know, they are based on people I know. Um, so it's kind of, sometimes I'll be, I'll be writing and, um, I can hear what they're saying in the voices that they, they say it in, you know, like, I'm sure you've heard so many times before. Um, even though they've never said these things to me, it's almost like it's a memory. It's absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, when I finish writing a book, it's almost like, oh, wow, I, I want to go back and do something with these guys now. And that's when I have to kind of call my friends up and say, hey, do you, do you guys want to come for a game of pool or something, you know, just, just to kind of, to, to escape the, the book and then, and then get to the, the, the reality of it, uh, and get, and get to, back to the people. And, uh, you know, in the world we live in, we're all, we're all, well, I'm certainly getting a little bit older, uh, and I'm finding as, as we all age and our kids are growing up and that kind of thing, uh, time is a little bit more valuable and, and it's harder to, uh, Get the spare time of people like we used to be able to when we when we were younger. Throw your friends off. Have them have them react. Say, you know, by the way, Bernie, I'm killing you the next. <laughs> you are a good friend. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? He's <laughs> oh, painful. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, Darius actually got shot, and and he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to get shot again in book two or book three. So, um, well, nobody likes Darius anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we're um. It, it, it does cause a little bit of a smile. Um, we have banter and we have a laugh about it, and they, they call me up and they say, "I can't believe you know you, you had me doing this or you had me doing that," which is great because the people who they're based on, they they know it's them. The only downside to that is if ever I want that person to do something that is against their their character in real life, um, it can cause uh, animosity. You know, the, the, you know. I, I mean, I haven't had it yet. But I can imagine they'd be ringing up going, you've got to change this. I don't want to be known as somebody or even read, you know, me doing this kind of thing. So, so this, this is advice for, again, for new writers out there. If you're going to base your characters on people you know, change the names and then don't tell them that it's them. <laughs> that way you can get your characters to do anything you want rather than anything they want. Becoming a writer and writing like you do, how has it changed you? 
It's made me appreciate writers and books a hell of a lot more. It's something, I mean, I've read all my life and took it for granted that, you know, I've picked up these brilliant books and I've read them and gone, wow, you know, that was a great book. And, and, and you don't realise how much work goes into it. And, and you know, and, and that, that book has probably been rewritten maybe 50 times, um, edited, bits taken out, bits put in, chapters completely removed and changed, storylines completely changed. Um, so it's given me a whole new appreciation for uh, for the author that, that, that I'm reading. And then for me, uh, writing, it, it's made me realize exactly how difficult it is because when I first, like I say, when I first wrote something, um, I had somebody take a look at it and she said, yeah, that's not a book, that's a report. <laughs> you know, that was dreadful. You know, go, go and put some emotion and description into it. Um, so I, I tried and several attempts and, and then eventually, um, she said, look, you know, you, you, your action's good, your character's good, but there's not enough description. Really work on the description. So I went away and I tried again and I wrote the first chapter of another book and I handed it over um, and she started reading it, this particular person, I'm not going to say who it is, and she started reading it and she went, you know what, she said, I'm 13 pages in and she said, the description is that good that I didn't even realise that nothing's happening. <laughs> You've come from one extreme to the other, um, you know, that you, 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 your description is now great but you've got no story, you know, and so getting that balance of action and description right uh, can be very difficult, and uh, you know, for any writers out there who've taken the time to try and try and you know describe something and, and keep the, the story flowing, you know, they, they know and they realise how difficult it is to you know. I mean, you look at is it Tolkien who's, who's how long did he spend describing a tree? Um, you know, so it's uh, it, it's something that finding that that level ground of keeping the, the reader's interest, keeping them gripped to want to carry on reading and, and also being descriptive enough for them to visualise what's happening. I didn't realise how much of a tightrope that was. So so where do people find Gavin? Are you on Facebook, social media? Do you have a website? Do you hang out in, in pubs? Like where, where do people find you? Uh, so online, um, so yes, I do have a social media account, um, which is just Gavin Stone Author on Facebook. Uh, so you can follow me on there where um, there's, there's loads of information going out uh, for that. Um, I do have a Twitter and an Instagram, but I don't really use them that much. However, I have a, th uh, a YouTube account, um, and I generally do a lot of videos with either people I've worked with in the intelligence industry or, or in the military or in that kind of thing. And we all jump on and we do, we have all sorts of fun. Uh, loads of different guests come on there with me. Um, uh, um, um you know, we talk about, there's the, like, there's former FBI guys, former KGB guys, former MI6, MI5, CIA. Uh, yeah, and we talk about all things, whether, the, whether they've, written books and they're talking about their books or whether it's just something they've done in the industry and we're sharing, um, we get on that. So YouTube, um, if you look on there, it's uh, Gavin, at Gavin Stone Author. Um, and, uh, and yeah, in, in person, if you go on to Eventbrite, I'm actually doing in July, I think it's July 15th, I'm doing a one-day spy skills workshop. So if anybody wants to come down and learn... Uh, all the tradecraft I can cram into a day. Um, we do everything from escape and evasion, lock picking, bypassing alarms and CCTV. We do human intelligence gathering and, and you, I just cram a day of tradecraft together. Um, and, and, and I've, I've got that on Eventbrite. Um, I'm not sure whether I'm going to continue doing it, but at the moment it's a little bit of fun. It's open to the general public and they can come down and they can do that. And, and I, and, and if you're an author, and you like to write from experience rather than imagining what it's like to feel that duct tape ripping your wrist hairs out and that kind of thing, uh, you want to actually describe it with, with the, the memory, then it's perfect for you. You know, we do live weapons firing, we do disarming, we do all manner of different things, getting into safes, the lot. So after that, I can I know how to break into a place and not be detected. Uh, and and you, you're going to tie me up with duct tape? Ooh, that's, I'm getting yeah. excited. Yeah. Yeah. We, we yeah. do it on the marijuana dispensary, then get tied up. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do the lot of zip ties, duct tape. Uh, handcuffs, uh, the whole lot. So oh. it's, it's like it's like a kinky night of it. <laughs> you know, it's a Thursday night of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, <laughs> that's a party night at my house. Boy, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I didn't know I could YouTube that. Maybe I can make money. Well, I, I don't put it on YouTube, but I do. I do kind of have the uh, you know the, the one. It's an in-person uh, ticket event where people come along. Where's it located? Um, so that I'm doing. I'm actually currently in the UK again for the time being, um, and that's happening in Kent uh, on the on the fifteenth of. 
July. I don't think, I think there's a few spaces left on that particular one. And then if it goes reasonably well and the demand is there, then I might start doing them uh, a little bit more frequently. Um, and on the other hand, if, if people are, uh, if, if it's not for them, um, I might call it a day. So I used to do them years ago and they used to go reasonably well um, before I moved to the States. And I'm back in the UK for the time being. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot again, see if people want to come and have a bit of fun. Yeah, no, it sounds good. We'll have everything up on our website too, so that people can find you uh, quite easily. You know, it's not. Oh, brilliant! Thank it's you. It's not going to be hard to find and all that stuff. So, uh, and I also noticed that you were doing some some uh, event or some sort of thing about bullies. So you're yeah, that's important for you. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is something that again, it was it was a bit of a joint idea with a friend. It was a friend of mine from MI6. We were we were looking at kind of um, the spike craft uh, skills course that I do and we said look you know that's that's a kind of a, a niche area for people who have an interest in it um, and he, he said look with your with your skills and what you know and, and your, your background in psychology and body language and all the other things can we look at a common problem that's going to help people uh, who you know uh, it's going to be like advantageous to them and I thought one of the most common things and I know because I, I have family members who have been through it drastically have been bullied throughout their life um, I know recently that there's people committed suicide and there's people with substance abuse and all manner of issues through bullying and it's also something I've been on the receiving end of myself uh, many years ago and I thought right I'm going to put a, a little half day class together and I'm going to teach people of like kind of secondary school level uh, like a parent and, and child combo where they come along and I'll say right I will teach you how to stop this without violence, without the usual tell the teacher tactics that don't really work and can actually make the problem worse. Sometimes it works, but, you know, if it doesn't, then you, you, your only lifeline is gone. Um, I actually give them the, the techniques and the methods to be able to counter it and, and, and cut it out and stop it immediately. Well, that's great. Do you use duct tape on that too? No, no, yeah, I, I, could, I could probably incorporate it one way or another, but no, that's, this one's all psychological. Well... This is great. Um, we've we've learned a lot here. You know, <laughs> Gavin. He sleeps with all of his characters and um, <laughs> hates his friends. I just, I just like him. Yeah, 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 he's right, you know. <laughs> and he'll put you in a book and he'll do it all. You'll get it all. And then he has classes where he duct tapes you. Yeah, why not? Who, who wouldn't want to pay to be tied up? Well, you know. That's great. <laughs> this is, I think it's time to cut this thing out. Yeah. Have a nice day with great weather. Yeah, no. <laughs> so now the book, of course, your latest book is called The Unforgiven Spy, and it's book one in the series of Spies for Hire. So, Gavin Stone, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.